Looking to fast forward your practice goals? Commonwealth Financial Network can help you evolve your business by providing entrepreneurial capital, affiliation flexibility, and tailored business strategies. Everything you need to put your practice into the fast lane. Welcome to a better path to success. Welcome to Commonwealth. To learn more, visit Commonwealth.com. Commonwealth Financial Network is a member of FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Hi, I'm Suzanne Syracuse, and welcome to my new podcast, Focused on the Future, Keys to Building a Profitable, Sustainable, and Impactful Business. And I am excited to be partnering with WealthManagement.com on this. This series will focus on what firms need to embrace to ensure their growth and success for the future, and you'll hear from industry leaders and advisors on what is working for them. The content is directed at firms that are already successful and looking to stay that way, and also for those who are focused on taking their firms to that next level. I have a great lineup of guests in store, and today I'm talking with Lizetta Braxton. <laughs> Lizetta is the co-CEO of 2050 Wealth Partners, a fee-only financial planning and wealth management firm, and is the founder and CEO of Lizetta and Associates, her virtual DEIB strategy firm. Thank you, Lizetta, for being here with me today. It is amazing to see you, and I am really excited to get caught up with you on the topic all about the future. So thanks again for being here. Thank you for having me, Suzanne. This is definitely a highlight for me. Oh, great, great. Well, we have a lot to get to, and I <laughs> I, I want to start off with with the basics, right? So let's get right into, like, what are some of the key areas that you are focused on at 2050 Wealth Partners to engage with and offer to your clients to set them up for success now and in the future? Because you really have an innovative model. I'm going to start by giving you a little background about the name, our name, 2050 Wealth Partners. Great. The Census Bureau says by the year 2050, the U.S. will be a racial mosaic, and we want wealth to transfer along with that. And with our bold mission, we attract clients and alliance partners who see the future and, and are willing to make the investment now so that we can reap di dividends along the way. With our model, we wanted to make sure that it was centered on access to financial planning. I remember when I first joined the industry, there was so much conversation about AUM, assets under management, which mm -hmm. excluded a lot of people, um, including people that are dear to me. And Rianca, also my business partner, Rianca Dorsenfeld, felt the same way. And so our model is very advice-driven, which allows people who are income-rich and building assets to have access to financial planning and a partner with them on the journey. And what do I mean by partnership? It's not transactional. It's about really being in their lives and walking along with them and having the confidence that we are keeping their best interests first. So we are so thrilled that many of our clients would not have passed the test to have a financial advisor, but we have a platform that has allowed them to know that they're honored for the wealth that they do have and that we can grow that together. 
I'm so glad that you started out by explaining the name of your company because I'm embarrassed to say I did not know that that's what that where you got 2050 from. I love that. Secondly, it's always ironic um, in our industry the people that maybe need financial advice the most are the ones that a lot of times don't have access to it. So I, I believe that your model is set up to help those that are building assets, as you said, that are maybe not already there. So I'm going to ask a very direct question. How do you, so that you can educate others that may want to do the same thing, how are you essentially making money or building a business yourself when maybe the assets under management model doesn't necessarily correlate to those that are building assets uh, and many of your clients? Certainly. So I'll start with kind of the industry norm. A lot of people say a million dollars will give you that $10,000 fee, 1% mm -hmm. of asset that is under management. So let's just use that as a threshold. Um, we were well aware in terms of our, our pricing model that we would not be at that level um, starting off. So currently, if you look on our website, 2050 Wealth Partners, you'll see fee transparency. So for our single clients, we charge 5500 that includes 400,000 in assets under management so we still value right and say um, we know you have assets we you know we're just saying it's included in the retainer because you make decent income and you can mm -hmm. afford this this is like going on vacation <laughs> once a year <laughs> like you can have your vacation plus your financial planner as well we can make sure that you can have more of them uh, while you're paying us and then for our couples now, we are at the 8,500 to 10,500. Did we start at those levels? You know, for our couples, the answer is no. And so as we decided to move beyond just in two of us ensemble and to hire full-time competitively yeah. <laughs> um, associate financial planners, we had to um, extend our model. The nice thing about the evolution of our RIA practice is that there are others who are also coming behind and building up their cachet, if you will, to be able to charge certain rates and offer certain services. So for the clients that no longer fit our profile, we just refer them out to other RIAs that were building, you know, their book of business. I don't like to use that terminology, but that's what we use. We yeah. like to call it our client family for those who are building their client family. We stay true to who we were as we raise fees. We still have people who have never worked with a financial planner. I would say 85 to 95%, even those who have can afford our fees at this new level, mm -hmm. um, which means we are keeping with integrity and we share the wealth. We're like, if we can't serve you, we know who can. I and love so that. That's how we've built our business. How do you become a referral partner? Like, so how do you know who to refer out to? Do you have like a, a network? Yes. You're asking <laughs> if I have a network. I know you have a network. I know we have a network. Let me, but, let me but be that's really been clear on that. But that's been intentional. Right. Yep. And I'm kind of joking, but I'm serious because we put in the work to find people who are aligned with us to to help them see themselves that this industry, there is space for them, that all the success they think they see is that we all have started like baseline, like, what am I doing? This right. is a lot. Compliance is crazy. How do I do lead <laughs> generation? 
right? It's just like, okay, been there, done that. We can make this easier for you. Now, there's some who have solicitation agreements when they make referrals out. We haven't done that um, yet. It's just been the goodness of wanting our colleagues to stay in the industry. So oftentimes, yeah. I know for me, people reach out, how did you do it, right? And if I can't, I'm like, and you just keep passing on the wealth. You just keep passing on the wealth. And it comes back to you. It comes back what to a, you. What a great way to think about it, because it, it really is one of the reasons that so many leave the industry because it's so hard to kind of build their client base. And so if you're there as a, like almost an incubator of new business for them, um, if imagine if, you know, the power of one, right? But the, imagine if a bunch of other firms kind of got together and were doing something similar. And that is part of the secret sauce, right? Is thinking um, about when you build others. Okay. People know I'm a, I'm a relationship person. So I'm going to go back to relationships. You're married. I'm married, right? So if you have if you bring a certain strength and you're helping others to have a certain strength, aren't you stronger together? It's like, duh. I mean, it's a, it's more than enough out there, you know, and you decide who you want to build with. And if it doesn't work for you, you're still advancing the cost because who knows down the road in terms of the business model of extending the relationships, you can have the big RIs. That's how they're doing M&As. Yeah. But why yeah. not do it in a way that's collaborative, right? Um, and thoughtful and strategic. Yeah. And, you know, part of the the tagline of this podcast is impact, right? Impactful. And so many of the guests that I've had on and so many advisors, very, very, very successful advisors like yourself have said, it's more now to me about leaving an impact. And what you're doing by referring business to those that are just getting started to encourage them to stay in the business and to help them be successful. I, I can't think of a better way to leave a real impact. So thank you for doing that. And I hope that those listening get inspired um, because I think that that's something that many firms can, can take a page out of your book. So that's great. You now are considered and have been for quite some time, one of the leading voices in our industry. But it wasn't always like that. So let's talk about how did that all get started? I know a little bit about this, but I'd love for you to share how you got to be one of these voices that so many are paying attention to. When and I don't say, want to embarrass you, but it's true. Well, I, <laughs> and that's why I'm kind of pausing because um, – <laughs> I laugh because people um, who know me um, well is that I just I got a big mouth. <laughs> I got a I got a lot of opinions and I got a lot to say. So it's just like who really wants to entertain <laughs> all that I have to say? And they often say, "I'm like my family members." God bless anyone who <laughs> does. Exactly. And so I kind of chuckle because. Um, I do for some reason. I've, I've, um, I see things and I want things to be better. And I am fortunate enough not to fear taking risk in the way that I feel like it's going to make things better. So back in 2010, 
I went to Investment News Conference. So Investment News was my my conference of of one of my conferences of choice, a sole practitioner. And when you're a sole practitioner, you need colleagues. And so I always love to go to Investment News Retirement Income Sum, uh, Summit to also hone my my skills as well, too. And Honestly, I got frustrated and going to conferences. I'm like, I don't see anybody, any people of color, very few women on stage, very few in the magazines. And I know you were leading um, the way. So it was beautiful to know that there was female leadership. And um, I saw Jim Pavia at the time who worked for you uh, at the conference. And I'm like, Jim, and he, I didn't know him. He didn't know me. I was just like, I am, I mean, I was just like fed up and I just took it out on him. I'm like, Jim. You lead all of this. Where where are all the women? Where are all the people of color? I don't see them on stage. I was in the office. I've been coming here year after year. And he just looked at me and he said, Well, why don't you write about it? And that sounds like Jim. <laughs> and so I didn't think he was going to come back and put it in my court. <laughs> I I wasn't a writer at all. I mean, that thing scared the heck out of me. I was like, yeah. oops, I had to open my mouth <laughs> too much. And so that's when I, I wrote my first op-ed. He gave me space and challenged me to do it. And I used modern portfolio theory that you can't pull all your eggs in one basket, meaning you can't be successful in this industry if all you have is white men on your team um, and white families in terms of your your book of business, your client family. And that particular article showed me in all seriousness that I did have a voice, that what I was thinking was on point, using concepts in the industry that are very valid to human capital, which means we are our biggest asset. And so if we are saying, don't don't put all your eggs in one basket, one investment, why would we do that with our firms and our clients? It doesn't make sense. Oh my gosh. So first of all, Jim has an uncanny ability to spot talent. And, and I mean talent from, you know, obviously employees and team members and all that, but also people that he sees could make a difference, could write about something interesting. You mentioned, I think, a very key area about you weren't afraid to take a risk in speaking, in writing, et cetera. That is actually one of the things that I coach people on when they're looking to get featured in the media is you you can't just say the same thing everybody else does. You've got to be a t- sometimes contrarian. You've got to be opinionated. You need to have a, a very clear um, opinion on something. So I love that the start was through you being frustrated at something and then just having the guts to say something to the editor of Investment News, which was, you know, the number one publication at the time. And that was a, you know, that was a gutsy thing to do. And and then, of course, saying it to the right person like Jim. And uh, I guess the rest is history. But I think that's a great lesson and actually segues well into my next question around being media savvy and how important that is for the growth of a firm, right? Using PR, media, marketing. 
and you've been so successful starting from that point, right? Like, and, and again, once you kind of get published one place, as you know, it's much easier to get published other places, especially again, at the time at investment news, you were published there, especially in op-ed, you to go through Jim Pavia, which everybody knew was a hard news guy. You, they, they, it legitimized what you had to say in your voice. So a lot of advisors really still struggle with getting media savvy. So what are some tips that you've had over the years, uh, starting with that, in working with the media um, that you have for other advisors that may be listening? One thing that you said in so many rich um, tips about working with media is really knowing what is important to you because you can speak more fluently about it. So if your area or expertise or interest is retirement or financial behavior, whatever the case may be, be clear on that and then know why you're clear on that. Because, you know, the beats run fast (laughs) and journalists don't have time for you to kind of figure your thoughts and put it all together and and for you to know yourself. (laughs) They need the experts. They need them yesterday and they need for you to be flexible and and work with them in partnership um, because what they glean from you, they're learning. They're not the expert. They become the expert and then they get more involved. And so you just need to make their job easier. And the good news about news is that you're sharing good news right, for the benefit of others to be able to have access to personal finance. And I'm just saying that specifically because that's my heart um, as well. So I I will say my ability to speak is because of my independency in the RIA space. You know, compliance is very hard and that's a high hurdle to reach depending on how you're structured. So keep that in mind as well too. Um, and I, I went independent, so I could say <laughs> what I wanted to say and still be in compliance in, in this structure. So your voice is needed. You know, there's, 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 there is such a need for good news. And as financial planners and advisors, there's so many people who didn't get in in high school good information, and definitely not in their adult years, it's a great outlet, pun intended, (laughs) to be available and be a part of the solution. Yeah, you know, um, you started out by saying, pick your lane, essentially, like pick your lane, what are what's your area of expertise, which is another thing that I always like in a stride, like, what is the thing that you really know better than anyone? in your opinion, right? What is your passion? What can you add to that? You mentioned the deadlines. They're on deadline, right? You can't like go through, uh, you know, a dissertation and and look at all your notes for three days before getting back to a journalist, <laughs> right? Um, and especially in, in the news media, right? So yes. like CNBC or in investment yes. news or wealthmanagement.com, like if it's a news story, that's one thing. If it's like a feature story and a longer piece, then maybe you have a little bit more time. But you, I, I want to bring up the fact that you made a connection to the media by attending a media conference. And that's kind of another thing, like a helpful hint that I like to give advisors. If you're, if you don't know where to start, somebody's not going to return your phone call or your email, 
go to one of the events that you know that they're going to be at or go to an event that you know that they're hosting. Wealthmanagement.com does a ton of them. And they're, most of the time, the journalists or the editors are there. So you can, just like you did, that's how you made your first connection, right? So th- how, what, 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 how did you make your connection with like the mainstream media, right? So the, I know Jim beca- left investment news and went to CNBC. So he, you know, he had a lot of contacts from there, but in other mainstream news media, what was there a, a, a tip that you could share of how you got, how you got in on, on those um, yes. media outlets? I will also I will defer to the trade associations. I was very involved with NAPFA, FPA, um, as well, and the CFP board. So I remember one of the first videos I did for the CFP board. They they really kind of got me comfortable um, to start getting comfortable with the camera. And the video I did with them <laughs> over a decade ago is still out there, still with a lot of views. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness, it's great. Um, and so I got media trained uh through leadership positions with the associations. Ben Lewis was at NAPFA, he went to FPA. So uh they actually had the training and just kind of said who was interested. And I just kept putting my myself out there. Sure, I'll do it. Sure, I'll do it. Sure, I'll do it. And it just continued to um build into something that I absolutely love to do both video writing uh you know um and then it led to the wall street journal so i write for them as well too so it it takes a lot of practice and a lot of courage and like you said knowing the right people and putting yourself out there and being consistent those are great bits of advice you know just being part of some of these industry associations being involved right and again being courageous because the, the media don't don't want safe. <laughs> so that's that's terrific advice, Lizette. And obviously you're you're doing an amazing job at that. Um I want to talk about another thing that you may be embarrassed about, but you are a role model. Um you're a role model to many people, including myself. So did you always like kind of know that was going to be in the cards for you? And who who is your role model? Who is your mentor? Two words are coming to my mind. One is role and the other one is mentor. I don't like the term mentor. Okay. I am more in leaning into friendor right now because I don't believe in hierarchy. So there's something about a mentor that says someone has more overall wisdom. And for me, I feel as though that there is areas that regardless of age, there's wisdom to be shared. So that's why I'm going back to roles because there are roles that have a certain degree of responsibility, right? But doesn't mean that you're higher or better than anyone else. It just means that you have more responsibilities because of the role that you play. And so that mindset in terms of no hierarchy, we are all human, we all bring something to the table, I think allowed me in the spaces that I was in just to see people and meet them where they are, regardless of what roles that they play. And so I never saw myself as a role model. I saw myself in the things that I said yes to, that I had responsibilities to see through. And I wanted people to also see my humanity because all of this that we're talking about, 
absolutely made up as I went along in life and still doing that. I have no strategic plan for my life as a financial planner. I've just been doing the things that I love. Very honest. <laughs> um, now I think I want to do this as an empty nester because it's like, oh my gosh, I get to just think about me. What does that really mean? I don't even know. And so for me, that the 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 concept of just being true to the role that you have and being genuine in knowing that you're human and it's not going to be perfection that you execute that role in allows you to give people permission to help you be your best self and then as you're trying to help them be their best self in whatever roles you have in life. That's just my viewpoint. So if people see me as a role model, I appreciate that, but I don't want to be on anybody's pedestal because that is not fun. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, so who was your mentor or friend tour? Um, so many to name. Absolutely. I have to start with you because we are in conversation. I mean, I keep going back to cutting my teeth. I'm thinking about being one of the the first women to watch 2015 being on the cover with Alex Armstrong. What? That was <laughs> such I was a- just really getting started. Oh my goodness. That was such a powerful cover, but Okay, well, thank you for that. Um, yes, leading the way, pioneer, just slaying, handling your business. It's like, okay, Suzanne, Syracuse, let's do this. <laughs> yeah, and um, through those connections, it's right, so valuable being in the room. Um, voices shared, collaborative thinking, just so grateful, just so grateful in terms of um, uh, Melissa. Hamill, I always lift her up because she was his first CFP that I met, like, that I'm like, this is what I want to be. You know, I was going the CFA route. I met her. She was CFP. Fee only. She took me under her wings. That's how I started getting involved in conferences. She put me on our conference committee for the local NAFA conference. Um, you know, Jim taking a chance on me, um, LeCount Davis, you know, the first black CFP, um, even before being in the industry, I, I've just been so honored for people who just saw something in me and it was just like, you want to do this? When I couldn't see myself, I just, I was taught to do because I can. And that's just how I live my life. And I'm just grateful for the people who saw more in me than I, than I saw in myself. And now I get to, to do that for others, which is really fun. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. And I think that, um, that's, it's again, showing that impact that one person can have on another. And so again, I think these lessons of, paying it forward and seeing something in someone, taking a little bit of your time and using your position of influence. If you yes. are in that position, everybody is in in one way, shape or form. And so being able to do that and using it to help another person, especially when you think that they're um, incredibly talented and have a lot to add and bring to the table, that is a important piece, I think, of leadership and of really giving back and making an impact. So thank you for that. And and um, and those are some terrific other examples. So I want to shift gears into what advice you have for firms on what 
maybe elements they need to consider first when they're looking to enhance or create an inclusive culture at their firms. Everyone that I've had on so far, this podcast has really set the stage by saying the the importance of inclusivity in a firm's strategic plan for it to be, for it to really be successful in the future. So knowing that you, you know, on the side do, you know, do consulting around that, what are some things that you think are important for firms to know around creating or enhancing an inclusive culture? I want everybody to be clear in terms of my work in consulting. It's really elevating humanity. Okay. Right? We are our biggest asset. Human capital to me is extremely important because many of us do not get the inheritances. We have to mm-hmm. use what we bring to the table to make income to turn that into wealth. Now, as a Black female, statistics does show that there is all kinds of income gaps and wage gaps. So for me to hold any kind of authority in terms of the space of inclusivity, mm-hmm. I have to be true to who I, who I am and right. give concrete stats. <laughs> so stats and anecdotal experience to help people expand their mindset. Because if you are lifting a certain boat, then you can lift all boats, right? Right. It's not a zero-sum game. So that's the angle for which I'm engaging human capital through a lens for which there are lots of deficits, but doesn't have to be that way because there's so many contributions that can be made. What this requires of people is to be in touch with their own humanity. So I just think about so often when I got my MBA and there was just thing about the IQ versus EQ, which is still in conversation. Are you leading with your expertise, right? And your craft, your discipline versus this whole soft side, the hard skills and the soft side. I'm still amazed that we're struggling with that because if you're talking about human capital, people who are actually doing the work, right? You 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 got to balance both. So what I see a lot of firms doing is because it feels comfortable to kind of hone in on what skills people have in the hard side about doing the craft. That's the bare minimum to do your job. That's bare minimum. How do you see that is enough to really give the profits that you could be getting, which means we are capping at an industry, the wealth that is available to everyone because people want to stay in their comfort zone and then use all kinds of other statistics to say we're okay. That doesn't make any sense to me, (laughs) right? So people with courage will know if you treat people well, if they feel good, they're going to be more productive. And then that's going to pour over into your clients. That's common sense to me, right? And it should be common sense for a business owner. But if if you're flowing with a 12-year bull market, that we're coming off of and things have been good and we really know we're not really in a session because a lot of firms are still holding on a lot of capital, right? We, we, we know that there's some things that are driving still conservative thinking. And what I mean by that, about what really measures for success and what you can hide behind as a firm. Mm-hmm. And so my question is, as we're going to this evolution of a really more broad, diverse, not just race, but gen, I mean, just um, Gen Z 
is diverse in so many neurodivergent ways. The question is, are you going to work with them, meaning the baby boomers, us as Gen Xers and the millennials, because when we talk about diversity and inclusion and belonging and equity, they're like all you generations ahead of us, y'all messed it up. (laughs) We're demanding more and we don't want to be caught with our pants down. And that's what's happening again. So back to the advice. And that's why I don't do hierarchy. Yep. Is pay attention to what Gen Z is saying because they're going they're they're the next in the workforce. They're gonna be next in terms of these generational skipping trusts and money and wealth. You know, it's not just stair steps. If we're gonna be firms of the future, we gotta plan now. And that's what we say with any kind of investment. The longer you wait, the the more you have to contribute to get a, a good return. Start early. And and we're we're here. We we are here. <laughs> yeah. With making that change. Yeah, Gen Z, I, I think it's really interesting that you kind of um you kind of look at it as less about a diversity and inclusion strategy and more about like what are the next your your next employees, the Gen Zers. This is just their mindset. This is the way they think. And that is if you want to employ those individuals, that's part of your overall strategy. I think that's part of what what you're saying. And the you say a lot around your your consulting, like the importance of doing the work. What do you mean by that when you say doing the work? Actually, what I mean is making sure you have a therapist. <laughs> workplace is representative of what they think, how they feel, what they believe. And so many people want to stay comfortable with the scripts that have been in their heads, the scripts that keep showing up in the media or whatever, and they get too comfortable. And then they just terrorize the workforce because they won't be true to themselves and all the baggage that they have without judging themselves and end up judging others, making people feel horrible, they haze. And even if they are good intentions, they don't have any tools. They don't have any tools to help pull out talent and give them space through trust. And this is the biggest thing, trust. This is huge. A lot of people don't trust our industry. And as I think about culture, We don't have a solid culture of trust. And this is my acronym for trust, trading resources using sustainable truths. Trading resources means at any level, if I give you my human capital, you pay, it's trading resources, using sustainable truths. What are your values as a company, right? What's your mission, vision, values? Has that been clearly articulated? So as you're thinking about the exchange based on what you believe, there should be alignment. And a lot of firms of the future are giving, they're talking the talk, but they're not walking the wall, which is doing the work. Who are you? Who are you individually as a leader? Who are you collectively as a firm? And how are you trading resources that have to come together to yield the profits and to be sustainable in the future? So trust starts in-house. And if you don't trust yourself as a leader and the influence you have and managing that power and privilege, then you're not going to be a firm of the future. 
Wow. You, uh, I'm glad that we had that recorded because that was <laughs> really, really powerful. And I, I actually can't wait to listen to this back because I think that, um, that what you said right there was something that should be required reading for anyone that's running a firm or looking to run a firm. So well said, great work in what you're doing. And I, I like can't even believe it because at this time flew by, you know, every, every one of these podcasts, I do the same question last line with the title and the theme of the podcast focused on the future in mind. What is your last line today? What key takeaway do you want to leave our audience with? Keep doing the work. You won't regret it. I think we need a t-shirt <laughs> for that. Um, <laughs> seriously, so many amazing things that you shared. Thank you for being my guest today. You're really, really thought-provoking. You're a thought-provoking person. And you you always kind of leave me inspired and wanting to do better. And I hope that, and I trust that that's the same with, with yes. many of the people that are listening to um today. I think you provided so many great insights to our listeners, and I'm really grateful that I had you on as my guest. Um, I'm Suzanne Syracuse. Thanks for listening. And I hope this episode leaves you feeling even more excited to be focused on the future. Looking to fast forward your practice goals? Commonwealth Financial Network can help you evolve your business by providing entrepreneurial capital, affiliation flexibility, and tailored business strategies, everything you need to put your practice into the fast lane. Welcome to a better path to success. Welcome to Commonwealth. To learn more, visit Commonwealth.com. Commonwealth Financial Network is a member of FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor.